This podcast is brought to you by Library Systems and Services. For more than 35 years, LSNS has partnered with local governments to help reduce library costs, enhance services, and boost local economies. Understanding the difficult balance of budget and service, LSNS can help your community navigate these challenging fiscal times. Now, when it's more critical than ever to reduce costs and enhance services, visit lsslibraries.com slash podcast. That's lsslibraries.com slash podcast to learn more. This is Derek Prawl with American City and County Magazine. Uh, I have with me today Taryn Zamuda and Brooks Rainwater. And we are going to be discussing uh, local government responses to the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, Taryn and Brooks, uh, would you mind introducing ourselves or yourselves for our audience? Taryn, why don't we uh, why don't we start with you? Absolutely. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for having me today. My name is Taryn Zamuda. I I'm with National Association of Counties. I'm the Chief Economist and Deputy Chief Innovation Officer with NACO. Um, so we focus on the county governments across the nation and represent um, everything from advocacy to research and take a look at what's going on across the country at the county government level. Great, thanks so much for joining us, Taryn. Uh, Brooks, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. How are you doing today? And thank you for having me on the show. My name is Brooks Rainwater, and I'm the senior executive and director of the Center for City Solutions, the National League of Cities. NLC is the largest and oldest organization representing cities in America. And uh, within the, the group that I run, the Center for City Solutions, we're focused on research, best practices, technical assistance, as well as leadership education. So our goal is to be able to shape and work within the national context to be able to show what's happening within cities and then be at the ground level through our technical assistance and engagement work uh, to surface the best and next practices that are happening in communities nationwide and then make sure that we're educating our members on what's happening next. And, uh, right now, we are very much focused on supporting city members as they are navigating through the COVID-19 pandemic. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for uh, for joining us here on the podcast. Um, I guess maybe the best place to start this conversation is uh, to talk about some of the challenges that local government leaders are facing right now. Um, you know, in your respective expertise areas and, you know, with uh, Taryn representing counties and Brooks representing cities, what are you seeing from your members right now as far as the the, the immediate challenges that they're facing, uh, you know, going through this ongoing pandemic? Sure. So we are, when COVID-19 hit the nation, I think we saw kind of an immediate a recognition from our county leaders that this was something that they needed to take action on, they needed to take seriously, and um, they they went right into crisis mode off the bat. So at the beginning, we saw counties uh, declaring emergencies within their jurisdictions, 
Um, from there, we you know we all saw the trend of states then declaring those those emergency declarations. Then we had FEMA declarations issued by the federal government for the states. Um, and then we kind of transitioned into these safer at home or stay at home orders that were both issued at the the county and and state level. So all of these things, both um, you know, response to COVID-19 and also have had uh, impacts on our communities. Um, sure. Especially, I mean, first and foremost, our counties have been concerned about the health and safety of their residents. So um, putting in place those orders and then also, as I said, solution mode, action mode on, on what needed to be done in the public health response and making sure that the residents of each community stay safe safe and healthy. So I think building on that, and what I would add is that local governments have really been at the forefront of tackling a response to the pandemic. And they've been doing this by passing a myriad of policies, whether we're talking about you know stay-at-home orders or thinking about utility shutoffs um, and making sure that people continue to have their utilities during this time frame. Uh, housing and homelessness has been a big policy area that uh, cities have been in particular focused on to, to make sure that we're figuring out ways to house the homeless right now as well as keep people within their homes. Um, certainly government operations. Uh, we've seen a lot of cities trying to think about what are the continuity of, uh, you know, city, city hall meetings and, you know, bringing the council together, um, thinking about how we communicate out to the, the public during this time. Uh, one of the things we've done at the National League of Cities is we joined together with Bloomberg Philanthropies and built out a COVID-19 local action tracker. And over the last month, we've tracked uh, almost 1,300 policies to date from 420, 421 cities that are growing. Uh, right now, it's impacting 81 million people across the country. And so in real time, every single day, we're, we're updating this uh, database and we'll be continuing to do so to really shape and have city leaders understand what's happening in other communities as they're trying to develop these policies themselves. Now that we're turning more towards a conversation around how cities reopen, um, a lot of what we're hoping to do is uh, help shape some of that dialogue, uh, making sure that we're listening to scientists and public health officials, but thinking about what does the kind of economy look like as it opens back up because uh, there, there are a lot of economic challenges right now, and this has really shaped a lot of our advocacy uh, as well as we're thinking about, you know, new stimulus packages being passed to make sure that there's direct funding uh, for cities. Sure. That, that's actually something that I really wanted to talk about with both of you um, is the idea or the, the economic impacts of this and the local government response to that. Um Keeping economies going through this time has obviously been a, a really, you know, a, a significant challenge. Um, what are what are you seeing from your members uh, in regards to that? Um, I know that some places have, uh, you know, passed their own, uh, you know, kind of community wide stimulus packages. Um, you know, obviously the federal government uh, with the CARES Act uh, taking advantage of that. Well, can you can you tell me about the the economic impacts of this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we, a, as communities and and businesses were kind of closing down, slowing down, we we were asking people to stay home. Um, we have 
seen a decline in revenues from things like sales tax, um, from fees that counties collect, whether they be marriage license fees or fees in the court systems, fees um, at your, your DMV. Um, so local budgets are, are feeling that impact of that slow, slow down economic activity or just activity within the community. Um, now with an eye towards what do we do uh, to open up, um, you know, as, as we mentioned, we want to do so in a smart way, thinking uh, through what is, again, number one priority, keeping residents safe and healthy, um, but also keeping, keeping a pulse on what is happening across the country uh, within local governments as far as the, the costs, the, um, the overall fiscal impacts of reduced collection of taxes and, and fees, which support the services that our local governments provide. Um, so these, these funds support public safety and social services, child protective services, mental health services, um, homelessness services. Uh, so they, those funds are what keep local governments going, providing everything that's needed to to residents. So it's it's a balance and it's it's something that we are, are working to provide guidance on for, for county governments as well as they transition towards thinking about opening up. Yeah, and I, I would add that, you know, we're seeing similar that the economic consequences of COVID-19 on cities have been enormous. That the the impact of closing Main Street businesses and the, the vast unemployment that we've been seeing as the weekly numbers continue to tick up to, to, you know, numbers that we haven't seen since the Great Depression are leading to just, you know, an array of challenges, whether we're talking about um, from the government operations standpoint, as well as just the human impact. Uh, I mean, these are people living in our communities that are out of a job and are worried about whether they're going to be able to have a job on the other side of this again. And so we're, we're very much focused on how, at the city uh, perspective, we can help support those uh, folks with uh, additional resources, you know, small business loans and small business support, um, as well as just simply thinking about, uh, you know, what this is going to do to Main Streets and the retail environment on the other side of it. You know, there, there is concern that restaurants won't reopen the same way that they had been opened before. Um, and so how do you have kind of the lifeline that allows these businesses to continue um, moving forward? And, you know, certainly from the city and county perspective, that the tax collection uh, question is key because uh, as budgets are passed, you know, your, your projections are, are looking very different than the reality on the ground right now. And so this really just speaks to the need for a robust stimulus plan that is, you know, dedicated to, to helping support our cities and the people that live within those communities uh, through this pandemic. And that that type of stimulus, uh, are you are you saying that you know that this is this is something that the that the federal government is going to be offering that we need to be able to tap into? Is this something that, you know, as communities, we need to come up with our own sort of approach to this? What, what do you think that looks like? So I think that it, it's a mixture, you know, the, the CARES Act was a, a great first step. Um, but one of the, the big concerns that we had, and I think this affects the counties in the same way, is it was focused on 
you know, giving dollars to states and focused on the largest cities in the country. Uh, you know, the vast majority of communities in America are much smaller than half a million. Yeah. Uh, you know, the vast majority of them are under 50,000. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that as there's uh, conversations around a four stimulus plan, that there is that direct funding to cities, counties, and frankly, states too, because at the state level, uh, they need additional resources. I mean, when you have this big of a fiscal hit, uh, the goal here is to kind of smooth it out um, as we get back to some sort of normal. I mean, you see this happening with uh, the focus on the stock market and bailing out large businesses. Uh, Main Street needs to be bailed out as well. And so I think that's, uh, as we're thinking about it, and as we've been running the numbers, you know, it could be upwards of around 200 to $250 billion that we need direct funding to cities to, to help support during this time. And I'll add to that and, and just say, yes, that most of our counties, over two thirds of counties are under that 50,000 in population. And there are only a few over 500,000, um, which are eligible to receive funding directly in the CARES Act. So I, I will um, double down on that by saying that we uh, two counties are are impacted greatly um, fiscally, financially and uh, you know, that comes in two forms for us, both in additional costs. I think as this primary eye towards health and safety of residents, um, you know, was at the forefront when COVID-19 hit, we had counties implementing solutions, just standing up field hospitals, opening up housing um, for to protect vulnerable populations like the homeless or elderly populations, providing purchasing and leasing hotels to help quarantine individuals. Um, all just thinking, okay, we need to respond now and we'll worry about the, the how to handle the additional costs later. And yeah. so that we're a couple months in thinking, okay, now we're looking- How are we gonna pay this bill? Exactly, <laughs> how are these bills that we've racked up, especially knowing now that our revenue streams are, are vulnerable or have been impacted. Um, already. So, and, and speaking a little to the local response versus the federal government response, we are seeing a small business stabilization fund set up um, in within local governments. We're seeing very flexible or no interest loans being offered, bridge funding for small businesses, grants that uh, businesses can be eligible for. Um, so we're seeing a, a wide range of the, that local response and the uh, kind of the, how can we help our communities? Uh, but it will take working with the states and the federal government to provide a comprehensive, uh, a sustainable approach moving forward. Do you think that the response thus far has been adequate? I mean, I, I've seen I've seen calls uh, for, you know, adding additional funding into these bills, specifically earmarked for local government, um, you know, uh, are, are, is 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 the is the response enough? I think that we need more. I, I think that we need to all be cognizant of what we're already starting to see happen in local governments: our, our furloughs and uh, potentially laying people off within the government sector because of budget constraints. Um, and this is going to impact police. It's going to impact firefighters at the county level. It's going to impact public health employees. I mean, these are all the people that we need right now. Um, and so as the, the needs are, are going up, and that doesn't even get into the fact that as we reopen, there's going to be new 
uh, public health needs and transit stations, you know, uh, all throughout uh, the public and private sector as we think about things like temperature checks. I mean, the the, the movement towards the future is going to cost money, um, but to even get us there, we're going to need support of our, our basic services. And so I do think we're, we're going down the right path um, between that, that federal uh, local partnership, but we need to make sure that it's strengthened. Yeah, we have these kind of you know, essentially crippled economies. And once, you know, in, in order to keep government function going, it's reliant on a robust local economy. And if the rug is pulled out from underneath you on, on you know, on that, so to speak, it, moving forward, we're, we're going to need some help. And you touch on a great point that, you know, one thing as counties we think about is there are over 3,000 counties across the nation and all are very diverse, very different. They rely on various industries for their economic output. Um, some rely on tourism, some rely on, on mining or energy technology. There uh, various industries. And uh, as a nation, our economy pre-COVID-19 was performing pretty well. Uh, but if you look down at the county level, that's not necessarily the case for each locality. So mm-hmm. prior to uh, this hitting in, in Q1, there were uh, a quarter of counties that had not yet recovered from the last recession, according to GDP. So we're looking at some areas that are already um, not quite equipped to be handling another crisis, having yet recovered from the previous crisis. Uh, so it, it's it's something to keep in tune with in in each each county, each local government, each city has a, has different needs and they're in a different place. Yeah, and you you bring up a good point of that. You know, there there is no real one size fits all solution to any of this because we're talking about such diverse communities and and you know economies that are based on such different things and i wanted to i wanted to ask you guys about this um it seems like response and thought around this and you know when to reopen uh, you know when should we have shut down how extreme do these uh restrictions need to be on on residents movements and uh there, there seems to be a lot of conflicting information out there, information that might also be politically driven. How, as local leaders, do we best navigate this? I mean, do do you guys feel like it should be the response of each individual community and what each individual community thinks is best? Or does there need to be some sort of national guideline of of how to approach this and when to reopen? What, what What are your thoughts there? And my thoughts on that are that you could have a, a more effective form of federalism uh, play out during this type of pandemic. Where I think we have succeeded is uh, where city and county liter- leaders have uh, taken on the mantle of leadership and listened to public health officials, listened to scientists, and tried to get ahead of the curve. And we saw this in communities throughout California, you know, Seattle. Um, many other places throughout the country that uh, we're, we're trying to, to close before any type of kind of national guidance uh, 
telling them to do so. Sure. Uh, but it has been a challenge, uh, as you've seen some states that chose not to close the whole entire time or, or those that are reopening, even though the national guidance is telling them there are these stages that need to be gone through. Um, and so I would say if there was any criticism, it really is on that coordination um, and that, you know, always having the federal government serve in a role of helping to coordinate is a valuable role for it in the same way that states are, are working together with uh, local governments to help coordinate. Um, we, we've seen it get a little better throughout the process, but um, frankly, this is where uh, we, we all want to see coordination kind of work to, to help alleviate the challenges from COVID-19. Yeah, I would say the the coordination, it, it takes a lot on the local level. So if you are a, a small county, um, in Kentucky, let's say, and you're near an urban core, you are, say you're near Cincinnati, you are having to coordinate across county lines, across, or with the city, across state lines in that situation, when you're going across from Kentucky to Ohio, um, you, there's a lot of coordination that needs to be done at the, at the local level to think about opening up and to think about ensuring that, that communities can stay can stay safe. Uh, you think about movement across county, state, city lines for just employment, for going to work. So if one county has has a certain um, policy in place and there's their neighboring county has a different policy in place, you're going to see challenges there. So working together is the key. And I think uh, that can be guided also by uh, federal government guidance as well. Gotcha. And so that brings up another idea of communication and, you know, inter, intergovernmental communication, uh, you know, even interdepartmental communication within one single government, um, particularly now that everybody is, well, everyone that can be is working from home, working remotely. Our, our teams are now more spread out than they ever have been. Um, can, can you speak to the, the idea of communication, even, you know, with it, within our governments, to other governments, and to constituents. How has this been looking? What, what are, what's effective? What, what's not so effective? What are, what are your thoughts there? Sure. I think on the effective side, I would point to the example where at the national level, uh, they came out with guidance on wearing face masks. Um, you know, it's hard to tell time nowadays, but I believe it was about <laughs> two or three weeks ago. And after you saw that national guidance, I believe from the CDC uh, come out, you saw a whole host of mayors nationwide that started changing their social media profiles to have them with a face mask on. They went to press conferences and had face masks on um, and talked about the value to help, uh, you know, alleviate the challenges by having a face mask on. So in that sense, you saw that coordination function happen. Uh, you saw uh, city leaders respond to what public health officials were saying, communicate out really well uh, to people that live within their communities. And, and hopefully this kind of uh, coordination was able to, you know, positively impact everything going on. On the negative side, I think, uh, you know, some of the challenges with communication have really come down to uh, what my colleague was just saying a moment ago uh, from the, the regional perspective, you know, thinking about how everything aligns at the city, county, state, 
um, and federal level to, to make sure everybody's on the same page where possible. Uh, you know, it, it really comes down to uh, pandemic response overall. Like, what do we do as a country when we have these types of crisis events? Um, and, and rather than kind of pushing on anything negative that has happened, what I hope is that we're learning from this and, and trying to be self-corrective as the, the pandemic continues, because we're not out of the woods yet. Yeah, um, sure. As we've heard from the public health officials at the national level, um, there's very big concern about COVID-19 coming back in the fall, even if we are able to tamp it down here in the coming weeks or months um, and being concurrent with the flu season. And so what my main hope is, is certainly there have been challenges that this played out, um, but I hope that we've learned how to overcome some of those challenges as we, one, for, focus on reopening um, communities here in the coming months, but two, uh, if there is that second wave that we don't run into some of the challenges we've seen now. Yeah, and I would add the a big part of the communication piece is, is knowing what we are communicating about, uh, which includes data and tracking certain metrics, having the information available to share with other leaders, whether they be local, state, federal, and uh, be able to make decisions based on that information, on that data. Uh, it, knowing if your community or your neighboring community um, has everything they need to be prepared to quarantine individuals um, in a long-term environment that might need to be quarantined if there is another um, more of a surge in cases, uh, knowing if you and those around you uh, have all of that they need to supply the appropriate amount of testing or PPE. Um, just just knowing kind of where each uh, county, city, state stands in the various uh, metrics that are important when we are thinking about opening up and, and allowing a more free movement uh, within communities or outside. So you raise a critical point because where we've seen success overseas are in those places that have utilized a greater percentage of testing of their population and then uh, robust contact tracing systems. And it, it does get to the, da the data piece, uh, knowing how the, the pandemic is progressing in individual communities and being able to make sure when people do have it, rather than kind of super spreaders or others, um, making it kind of go more broadly into the community, you're able to tamp that down right away. Uh, via, via knowledge of those that have uh, contracted COVID-19. And so, you know, I just want to kind of double down and say data is incredibly important here. Absolutely. And the the testing component as well, you know, that that's, I, I would agree with you that that seems to be where, you know, other communities, and I mean, you know, so, some communities within our own country, but internationally as well, uh, have been, really successful in having a very clear picture of what's going on, you know, in, in, in their individual communities and, and that guiding the response rather than just kind of stabbing in the dark. So I wanted to sort of shift gears a little bit and talk about the actual functions of government during this time. Um, obviously, like I, like I mentioned, you know, remote work was kind of 
thrust upon us. Um, and these were departments and teams that might not necessarily have been prepared for that. Um, how, how has the reaction to that been uh, in, in your experiences with your members? Has this been a difficult transition? Has this been relatively easy? From the city perspective, I would say just like uh, policies aren't a one-size-fits-all uh, solution, uh, it would be similar to kind of the response to having a, a great deal of your staff uh, working from home in some instances, uh, deeming and understanding who should be essential in coming into the office and being out of the community still. Um, you know, th this has definitely been varied in how it's been impacting uh, communities nationwide. Uh, the, the other piece I would add is this is where PPE becomes really critical uh, because if we're going to have the, the frontline workers out there uh, from a municipal perspective, we want to make sure that they're safe and prepared um, so that uh, the PPE question that has come up, uh, you know, and the health side of it from uh, probably the county health side is also something that I, I think is impactful across the municipal workforce uh, writ large. You bring up a good point about frontline workers and protecting them. Um, aside from following the federal guidelines uh, for this, you know, with, with social distancing and PPE, are there ways that you've seen, um, and Taryn, feel free to jump in here because, you know, with county healthcare workers, th this is obviously, uh, you know, a major, a major deal, but how, how have... How have we been protecting these critical frontline folks? Um, what, what considerations have you seen that are being taken there? Well, I, I think with counties operating around 1,900 public health departments and over 1,000 playing a role in over 1,000 hospitals across the country, we're seeing um, counties do whatever they can to acquire the equipment, the the PBE specifically that they need. So whether that be working with their partners, um, with the private industry, working with certain suppliers uh, within their communities, uh, we're seeing donations of PPE made to hospitals to help protect county workers where we've seen um, kind of the sharing of supplies across county lines if there's a certain hospital that is in need. Um, in, a, in a certain time frame, and and then also working with with the states um, to to get the supplies for protective equipment uh, to ensure that everyone stays stays safe. It's been a challenge. Um, we still have seen um, shortages, and and that's something that we'd like to see there be more attention to, especially as this moves forward. I think that our, our nation is doing a great job that you're seeing industry or you're seeing businesses that haven't typically uh, produced masks or. Yeah. People, those businesses transitioning to, to creating th these things. Exactly. To help with the demand. So um, businesses across the nation are stepping up and we, we really appreciate that to help protect our frontline workers. And, um, but it's something we need to keep thinking about. This is going to be, we talk about getting into the new landscape, the new normal, what, what we're going to need moving forward and PPE, we're going to need PPE continuing to move forward. Um, even just, even beyond the peak. And this, uh, 
this might be a little bit speculative, but speaking of that new normal and, you know, kind of how, you know, our, our, our governmental teams have become more decentralized through this and, you know, like the, like I said, the, the rise of working from home, um, on the other side of this, how do you think this is going to change government? What what do you think, what aspects of governance do you see evolving right now that might be kind of forever changed by this? And in what ways will those, will those changes remain, do you, do you think? You know, I think it, it's something that we'll see in the, the public sector as well as the private sector, but uh, more an openness towards people working remotely. Uh, you know, certainly as uh, on the private sector side where people have to go 100% remote, um, that's completely changed uh, viewpoints, I think, to, to different working styles. And in the public sector where, uh, you know, depending on the community, remote work, uh, you know, working within the community, but still working from home um, hasn't always taken on the same hue that it might have in the private sector. And so, I think that could uh, ramp up a little bit. Um, I think additionally, the one thing that, that we are seeing a, a greater understanding of from the public is uh, that our municipal workers are our frontline workers uh, and that they are out there, you know, helping every day, whether we are talking about these firefighters, but also, you know, inspectors and, you know, sanitation workers where they are public workers. Uh, these folks are, uh, matter in a whole different way uh, to community members now. And so I think there's a newfound respect for uh, municipal work and for the just the nature of everybody being in it together uh, rather than maybe the way that we did before. I would agree in that I think there's been a lot more visibility brought to the local government worker um, in this crisis. So we mentioned public health departments, um, public safety, also positions, unfortunately, like coroners and medical examiners. Those are county employees that um, are being kind of called to extra work and strain during this time. And it's a very unfortunate circumstance. Um, mm -hmm. But you're seeing these on the ground frontline and they are their government workers, their local government workers really responding to the needs of, of the residents. So I think you're gonna see that increased visibility to the work. Um, also a, a transition in, in how we view our operations at the local government level. So we, you know, counties and cities and states have disaster preparedness um, and have plans for natural disasters, especially if you're on a coast, you have a plan for when a hurricane hits and then you go into your emergency operations center and you're in there for whatever period of time, maybe a week, two weeks, um, maybe a month in a, a bad case. But right now we're seeing the operations centers in counties that are you know, they went in a couple months ago and they haven't come out. They're meeting in there every day and addressing tracking cases, tracking um, the health of their residents in their county. I think you're going to start to see that kind of emergency mindset, emergency operation mindset around some more everyday daily operation activities. So sure. working in tracking your public health or maybe your vulnerabilities, um, on a, on a more regular basis. Gotcha. So 
I wanted to end us today on um, on a positive note. I think that positivity is going to be really important through this and moving forward. Um, I wanted to ask you guys if you've, you know, in in speaking with members or just you know being observant uh, through this, what are what are the good things that you've seen? Are there any success stories? Are there are there any positive takeaways from this? I mean, I, I would mention two positive takeaways. Uh, one, it reinforces the incredible importance of local government to our everyday lives. Uh, you know, right now, uh, mayors, uh, council members, county board members, all of these folks are on the front lines communicating with residents every day and trying to make sure that they have the best information possible to, to make the decisions that they need to make, whether that's, you know, staying inside or, or whether that's uh, thinking about how they can still uh, purchase, uh, you know, restaurant food to go as all the restaurants are closed. Again, I think that communications piece is so key. The other thing that I would mention, which we're seeing in, in cities nationwide, is uh, so many more people out walking and biking as they are trying to get exercise, which is still allowed and stay at home orders. And we've seen cities like Oakland and others that have closed streets uh, mm-hmm. for pedestrians and bicyclists. Yeah. And this was already a trend that we saw in cities like New York and San Francisco just in the last year where they closed 14th Street and Market Street, um, as well as, you know, a number of monthly closures in cities like D.C. Uh, So my hope, and I think a lot of people are hoping for this as well, is that we can see this moment uh, where we are closing streets for people and continue to do so on the other side of the pandemic. Um, So, again, that we're refocusing our energy on communities being for the people that live in them. Um, and you know, that would be my hopefulness piece that, uh, you know, we have more, uh, space available for people to walk and bike. Sure. Yeah. I I would say we're seeing a sense of connectedness, uh, among local leaders, but also residents, um, from across the country. And we're seeing people work together, uh, talking about solutions, sharing stories, sharing, um, insights that they have uh, to, to just really help. We're, um, we have meetings every week with our county executives from our largest counties across the nation. And uh, they are, every call is just sharing ideas, talking about what's going on, offering bits of information, offering resources, offering um, a, a source that they found for PPE or, you know, it's, it's a lot of um, open, minds open sharing and working together. I think we're also seeing because of the the nature of this, a lot of local governments used emergency powers to problem solve, to house those that are unsheltered very quickly, to help um, those that are vulnerable uh, in the the pandemic. And in that kind of quick turnaround, the quick solution and using the emergency powers, I think there's been a lot of light shed on um, how we are able to to solve a lot of um, a lot of issues in our within our local within our localities within the jurisdictions to help the residents, and I think there's that tone of okay, we can do a lot here, and we want to moving forward with in this pandemic, and then when we hopefully come out of it in a short time frame. Gotcha. 
Yeah, this is obviously a difficult time for everyone. This is, uh, you know, an unprecedented time. But I, I do, I, you know, but both of your positive takeaways, uh, you know, I, I think are, are, are valid. And it's important to, to focus on the problem solving rather than the problem itself. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to continue to do that. So uh, just to wrap up, I wanted to thank both of you so much for taking the time to join us on our podcast here. Uh, thank you so much for being guests and your insights are very valuable. And I think that, uh, you know, will be uh, important moving forward uh, in both of, you know, both of your associations as well as for, for our readership. So th thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. All right, thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Library Systems and Services. For more than 35 years, LSNS has partnered with local governments to help reduce library costs, enhance services, and boost local economies. Understanding the difficult balance of budget and service, LSNS can help your community navigate these challenging fiscal times. Now, when it's more critical than ever to reduce costs and enhance services, visit lsslibraries.com slash podcast. That's lsslibraries.com slash podcast to learn more. Mm -hmm.